Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Catch Program podcast. My name is Olivia Duffy. I am a program coordinator for the Catch Program at Argus Community. Um, if you were just joining us today for the first time, hello. Um, like I said, this uh, is the Catch Program podcast. Catch meaning community action to combat HIV and hepatitis C. So we are a program at Argus Community um, where we do HIV Hep C testing as well as do informational groups such as HIV, hepatitis, as well as other sexual education groups and other health education topics. So, um, and then again, for those who are coming back, welcome back. Um, you guys have all known, we've gone over an array of topics on these podcasts and particularly we also do them in person as well. Um, if you are someone who is interested in doing uh, HIV testing, you could, contact us at all of our contact information that will be linked with the podcast. Um, you can reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and as well as this podcast. Uh, you can also reach out to us with email as well. Um, but if you are very interested in our services, please reach out. So like I said, we do talk about an array of topics. Um, and also we have such fantastic health educators on the team who are um, very passionate about what they do. And they are very knowledgeable on a lot of the topics. So today we actually have a fairly new health educator, Shireen Zaman. Um, she uh, has done an absolutely wonderful job and especially with her research in refugee admissions and refugees, which I'm very excited to announce as what, what we'll be talking about today. Um, and this will be a two-part series. So be sure after you end this episode, be sure to be on the lookout for the next one. So hello, Shireen. Hi. Hello. Um, I I know I obviously briefly talked about it that we'll be talk, discussing refugee admissions, and I think the best place to start with this conversation is what is the definition of a refugee and who who is considered a refugee. Yes, I think that's the best place to start because both you know the UN and the State Department of pretty much every country they define it in similar ways, but also different. So just okay. to start off, the, the main kind of the UN definition of a refugee is a person who's unable or unwilling to return to their home country due to a well-founded fear of persecution. Now that persecution can be a lot of different things. You know, it can be differences in race, religion, political affiliation, um, anything that kind of sets a group apart and they are being persecuted because of it. I think what's interesting is they say that it's you know a well-founded fear. So what that means is you have to have some level of being able to prove that you're being persecuted, which is where it can get a little, you know, the definitions can get a little <clears throat> right. confusing. Interesting. So how do you how do you prove that? Do you like yeah. what what can be considered proof? Uh, proof can be showing kind of discrimination or acts of violence. So that's one thing. So if you are, you know, a refugee, say, in Syria, and you have proof that, you know, your kids, their schools are being, you know, bombed, or there's drone attacks somewhere near you, things like that, that's like the violent side of it. And then on the other side, you know, refugees aren't always, you know, persecuted violently, but it can be because of, you know, just pure racism or acts to where they can't get jobs, things like that. So that kind of persecution also exists. So if you can prove that 
there's a divide in the country between your group and that group. For example, a very common one is, you know, um, in countries where there's a big dichotomy between Christians and Muslims. Sometimes there's a lot of conflict and warfare that issues because of religious reasons. And so that could be, you know, that's a little simpler to prove because we can see it in the media, we can hear embassies talking about it. So it's definitely, it's, you know, it, it depends on the region, but we can kind of tell who a refugee is depending on political unrest. Yeah, like we definitely tell, especially with Ukraine, like people mm-hmm. are coming as refugees. Okay, that, that's, in, that's an interesting, um, I didn't realize you have to prove it, but then again, like, like you said, it's pretty simple considering what's in the media and what's been going on in the news. Um, I am going to ask you this question because I do hear this quite often. Um, the differences between a lot of definitions, um, like refugees, asylum seekers, and immigrants, and economic immigrants, as well as what I've noticed also is an expat, but that is completely, I feel like that definition compared to all the others is a bit more privileged than, you know, asylum seeker or immigrant, I should say. Can you explain what the difference is, especially for like asylum seeker and immigrant? Yes, yes, of course. But there, those are terms that, you know, just kind of sometimes get used interchangeably, but for legal reasons or, you know, legal purposes, like when you have to leave your home country, they're not, they're actually very different. So like I had mentioned, um, the refugee is a person located outside of USA who is being persecuted due to one of those reasons. Um, and they are of special humanitarian concern. So like back to Ukraine, Ukrainians right now are going through a lot of you know, they're being invaded. So um, that is of special humanitarian concern. However, an asylum seeker, especially according to the Department of Homeland um, Security, is someone who's already at a port of entry or they're in the US and they're seeking refuge from persecution. So think of that more as like, you know, the people that are down at the Mexican border who are trying to get entry because of a lot of you know, uh, violent unrest in their home countries, um, places like Venezuela, you know, there's a lot of people from Central and South America who would be considered asylum seekers because they already are here or they're at the port. So that's kind of the main difference, but asylum seekers are almost a sect of the refugees. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, now now it clicks. (laughs) Now it's very confusing. People do change interchange them a lot. So mm-hmm. I think that's definitely, you definitely made a very good precise uh, difference. And then obviously immigrant is a bit different because you could just, right, you could just leave for whatever reason. Yes, yes. Immigrants are, you know, they don't have to be persecuted is kind of the key thing. They, they might be yeah. persecuted, but they also kind of have the means to already leave um, and do that immigration process or go through different steps. Um, sometimes it's that they're not violently attacked or anything like that, or they want, you know, better opportunities for their kids. Uh, my family's immigrants. So, you know, they came because um, they wanted better job opportunities that they didn't have back home. So immigration doesn't really refer to someone being persecuted or being kicked out of their home country. And then economic immigrant is a little different, kind of like a newer term. But think of that as people that have to leave their country for, for jobs um, because their home countries just doesn't have the available resources for them. And think of that as like, you know, like migrant workers or migrant farmers who come here and 
it's big in Florida, you know, migrant workers from Central South America. So that's an economic immigrant and they don't have a lot of rights. They do have to return one day. Whereas a refugee and asylum seeker can potentially stay in America, most likely they will. Um, usually economic immigrants do have to go back. Oh, okay, so economic immigrants, but not like just the regular term of immigrants. No, no. Have to be economic, okay, mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. It's, I, I find it interesting that it's just like a simple switch of a word that kind of qualifies you. Mm-hmm. into staying for longer like um like I mentioned like expat too which I've I've heard very recently mm-hmm. um it's I feel like it's just more of a high-end version of saying you're kind of immigrating but only for a temporary period of time and that comes with a lot of privilege um and like there I guess there's a negative connotation of well there is a negative connotation of being an immigrant um unfortunately especially in the United States so I, it's, it's interesting that just a simple word, even though they're very similar, a lot of them are seeking refuge and looking for better opportunities in a country. And then there's certain ways that qualifies them. Um, it is, it's, it's odd, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I do know, like, I guess because of all the laws in every country, right? Not every country, it's like very like slim pickings for refugees, correct? Oh, yes. Yep. The U.S. is actually just one of 29 countries, I believe, um, that accepts and resettles refugees. Um, We are actually only second to Canada on how many people we resettle. So we're definitely up there. And you would assume that we are, you know, we are clearly a global power. We have all kind of the more space and um, resources to accept refugees. But again, that that differs depending on, you know, who's kind of in charge, who the what administration is leading it, because they are the ones um, setting the caps, the refugee caps that maybe you've heard about in the news, especially um, over in the Trump administration in 2016. They really cut that cap. They lowered it to almost, I think, like 40,000 less um, individuals that were being accepted. So. That number went down a lot. They had capped it at 15,000. Excuse me. Did you say 4,000 or 40,000? Sorry, they capped, they lowered it by 40,000. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Oh, sorry. Did not mean to cut you off. Wow. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. So the cap in 2016, I believe, was 15,000, which was down from 45,000 um, before. <laughs> And things are on the up and up. The new administration with Biden has said that they have increased it back to 62,000. But the last fiscal year, 2021, only 11,400 refugees were resettled into the United States. And that is the lowest since 1980, which is when the Refugee Act was signed into law. So that's the lowest ever. Now that could be because of, you know, the pandemic, um, just, you know, the bureaucratic process of raising the refugee cap again. You know, there's a ton of offices that have to work together to collaborate and bring the refugees and all the processes um, take time. So maybe this year the numbers will go back up, but as of now, it's it's at a historic low. Yeah, I think, yeah. That's unfortunate, especially because of the now cap that's been moved up. And also, like you mentioned, it's a like, I guess I would say that it's probably a very lengthy process, probably mm-hmm. a little more than a year's worth to get to fully be vetted. 
Oh yes, no, the vetting process is lengthy. It the average um, is about thirty six months, but you have to think of the many steps that go through it. There's uh, security clearances, medical examinations, approval from several departments. You know, um, the UN has to kind of give. Um, the case is over to state departments in the U.S. and they have to go through all the vetting processes, the federal, the state, everything has to like kind of coordinate very efficiently together. And that takes time. And it's also safety concern, right? A lot of people have this notion, like you were kind of saying before, that there's this connotation with migrants or immigrants. But sometimes with refugees, it's more of a more positive connotation, right? Because you can think, and you can, I think everyone would agree that refugees are fleeing from something, you know, that violent violence aspect is there. So people are a little bit more likely to empathize with refugees, but that doesn't make the process that much easier. They do have to go through background checks and all of these things that are hard to provide. Imagine you're fleeing your country if you don't have the proper paperwork, you forget one document, it's it's very hard to prove to the UN and the state departments that you don't have a criminal background, you're not violent, things like that. Right, yeah, I guess like that one document, I feel like with mm-hmm. everything. So if there's one thing, like you miss one document, it takes already a long time. Think about that if you're trying to be a refugee or someone who's seeking to go to another country. It's, it's exhausting, that process. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes you know, people do lose faith and hope in the situations, especially for how long it is. And it's really unfortunate. Um, and you're right, yeah, there is a bit of a positive connotation with um, a refugee seeker than a migrant and immigrant worker. You're right, there's really no um, no help in that, even mm-hmm. if it is like a, they really need the help and they're not getting it. Um, I'm glad that we brought that up one of the other things that I did want to talk about you did say it was very low and it's interesting you know probably with the accumulation of everything going on you know especially we're still in the pandemic um that's so low but what are like now what are the top countries that are actually uh that the refuge refugees come from Yes. So that changes every year. You know, every year there's different kind of numbers, um, but it's pretty similar if you look through the last few decades worth of data. So I know the top 20 countries um, from like 2002 to 2018, there was a large study. Um, The top five were actually Myanmar, which is in Southeast Asia, Iraq, Somalia, Bhutan, and the DRC. And what you can't see, I have the stats up here, but what you can't see is number seven is actually Ukraine. So Mm -hmm. we've actually had quite a lot of Ukrainian refugees coming in even before um, this year, kind of between that 2002, 2018, the early and mid 2000s. There's been a lot of shift, but the three countries you see a lot are one, um, Iran, Mm-hmm. to the DRC, which has a lot of uh, political unrest, a lot of like religious and like cultural conflict as well. And then Myanmar. A lot of people don't know this about Myanmar. Um, it was also called Burma, I believe. They kind of have two country names. Um, they are going through a very bad kind of genocide right now. And sometimes it's not talked about. 
Um, they are essentially, um, it's a religious conflict and they are being pushed south. The Muslims are being pushed south into Bangladesh, which is also a country with, you know, a huge population, very low, uh, very minimal space. And so what's happening is all of these refugees are kind of prioritized a little bit to try to get into the U.S. But since the numbers have been so low, especially with the COVID pandemic, it's definitely a struggle for them, um, even though they are the top three kind of countries. And then last year, fiscal year 2021, the number one country was the DRC, number two was Syria, and number three was Afghanistan. So you can kind of see that shift. Um, obviously, we all know what's kind of was happening with Afghanistan, you know, pulling the troops out and everything. So last year, they really went up in the ranks of going from like number six or seven or eight to like number two and three. So you can see how every year it kind of changes. And every year, you know, the world doesn't stop. There's another conflict going on. So it's, I, I've talked about this before, especially with the media and stuff like that. They put out what you want to hear and mm -hmm. what's going on they never really fully give you the full story so like obviously we are hearing a lot about ukraine but i did not know that about myanmar mm -hmm. or, uh, or, or burma however you are taking it like i didn't i didn't know that at all obviously afghanistan i've heard bits and pieces of it and what the media has portrayed about it um but that's very interesting that like you said a lot is going on in the world there's multiple conflicts um, but we're only hearing what what the media wants to offer us um, and what gives, I guess, a good story or what not, which is actually awful. Um, I always said this, especially during the pandemic, um, you know, COVID's not the only illness out there. It's not the only conflict in our mm -hmm. lives. There's a lot of other issues and people kind of just like forget about it, especially after, you know, oh, like, especially with, you know, the new presidency, people are like, oh, these problems are going to go away when in reality, they're just not showing it in the media anymore. Um, and there's a lot going on with refugees. Um, and you're right. Yeah. Like, I think, you know, obviously with everything going on with Ukraine and what we all know, there's definitely going to be a bit of a shift with that, especially because it's been a conflict for a long time. I think now they're just really going ahead with it. Head yeah. to head. Um, yeah. And I, I appreciate you mentioning uh, that as well, especially with the big shift of the top three countries. Um, what I find, I actually I don't find it not surprising to me that Texas is like number two in the states for refugee settlement, as well as California. They're pretty close to the border. So mm -hmm. that um, that's not surprising. But what I think I find surprising is like Minnesota being on this list. Um, Michigan, especially the colder things. Um, mm -hmm. I know as well, you also posted one, uh, you sent another stat about, uh, what, what was it, the top four countries, the top five countries, like Kentucky is up there as well. I find that so interesting. Do you know what are the reasons why people settle there? Yes, so the top five states for refugee resettlement in the last uh, fiscal year, was California, Texas, New York, Kentucky, Michigan, and then followed up with like kind of some random states that you don't expect, right? I was like, um, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I am not 100% sure, but I, from what I've researched and what I've looked through is that 
you can't really resettle refugees who are coming with, you know, maybe um, the language barrier. They might not know English. They might have a hard time um, getting a job, things like that. You can't resettle them in New York City. <laughs> you can't resettle them in some big cities um, that you would expect because it's already hard for a lot of those people in those cities to get jobs and get acclimated. And with you know inflation and rent prices soaring and things like that, sometimes refugees are put into places that need a little bit of population growth. Oh, right. Okay. So, Kentucky. Kentucky's up there. Exactly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm not sure how many people live in Kentucky. No offense to anyone in Kentucky, but there seems yeah. to be a lot more land there than, say, the island of Manhattan. So, oh, yeah. Yes. I, and what you see with New York is a lot of the movement is upstate. Right. That's, that's where all the land is in New York. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know or, or do know, majority of the population from New York is just obviously New York City in the five boroughs, as well as like Westchester County and Nassau County. That's really what makes up a lot of the population. Mm -hmm. um, Suffolk has a lot more land as well. That's far out Long Island. Um, but really above Westchester, it just dwindles very quickly. So there's a lot, lot of land up there. Um, so that would make more sense that they're all, um, you know, the refugees are going upstate compared to New York City or, you know, being on Long Island and Westchester. Um, so that, I guess that makes sense now that I'm looking at it. Obviously, Albany is up there as well, that's, but mm -hmm. it's Erie, right? Erie is like the biggest uh, county that takes refugees in New York. Yes, it's Erie. Um, last year, they took over 300 refugees. Um, and then um, Albany also did, and Buffalo, New York is a very popular spot right now with um, refugees from Afghanistan. And another reason is um, because once you have like a certain demographic of refugees settling somewhere, then it's a little bit easier to get yeah. other refugees from that country settled there because they have that social support. And that's something we talk about so much, um, you know, in our day-to-day -day work is no matter what illness or issues you're going through, you need social support, right? And refugees, you can imagine, have a lot of PTSD and trauma from whatever they've seen. Having to flee your home is, you know, it's, it's a lot physically and emotionally. So to come into a city, a new town where you have other refugees that you can kind of work through with or, you know, make those connections with, it really helps. So sometimes you see, you know, like a big Afghanistan population in Buffalo, New York, a very random place for Afghanis who have probably never seen snow. <laughs> right. And places like Texas and California, you know, it's just there's different hotspots for different um, kind of settlements. I heard that there's a lot of refugee movement of Ukrainian refugees into Washington state. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's. That's a little like, I yeah, I, I could see that they have like the less of a population that they can move there. But that's you, that's completely right. You should always, um, you're right. We do talk about this a lot. We talk about you know similar groups and classes and races of people that that have the community. The people know what you're kind of going through because they've gone through it themselves. Mm -hmm. Makes everything a lot easier to having a peer or um, someone in that social circle to know and that, that makes a lot of sense it makes it a lot easier that makes 
why they're having the hot spots. Uh, so now they know, you know, not only do they know some people, but it helps them acclimate, I guess, to their new surroundings. And um, that is in- that is interesting about Washington State and, um, you know, because you don't think that. You're always like, why is there such a random state? But in reality, yeah. you got to really look deep into it. Like, no, this is where they can go. If mm-hmm. you're putting them in the middle of, you know, in Manhattan of all places, that not is just very overpopulated and there'll be one single person whereas like now especially in New York City a lot of the communities kind of dwindle down especially with um gentrification and everything so there's less community or support uh in big cities than there used to be um I also kind of want to go over um I know we talked about the screening process and then stuff like that um but can you go a little more into um I had no idea you need an in-person interview yes yes there are just a ton of steps to um be admitted as a refugee so the first step in everything is that you make some kind of communication with the UNHCR which is the UN High Commissioner for Refugees that's kind of their the, the most utmost refugee group, right? Everyone's heard of the UN, everyone kind of knows what they do, how they kind of work. So that's your first kind of point of contact. So what happens is if you make contact with them, you know, they know that you are a refugee or things like that. They can then refer the priority one cases to other countries. So what happens in that is you essentially say, I'm a refugee to the UNHCR. They do their own vetting a little bit. you know, they have a lot of field workers out there that talk to you, kind of see where you're at, what documents you have. And then they send all of that to, let's say, the federal office in D.C. for um, United States and the United States Refugee Admissions Program, also called USRAP. They have a lot of partners then start doing kind of the logistical steps. So one of the first things they do is the security clearances. The security clearances are lengthy. That's probably the longest part of that 36 month average where they have to make sure that, you know, you are who you say you are. They'll take your fingerprints, things like that. Um, They will come and talk to you. That's a little bit later. So if they're coming to talk to you, it's almost like kind of a good sign because, you know, they don't talk to everyone, which is really sad. Um, I have a stat here. It's like almost 30 million refugees estimated worldwide which is kind of a a low estimate, thinking about how quickly Ukrainian refugees just went to 3 million. So, you know, that number's already different, but um, less than 1% will get resettled. And that is just an alarming number. So we're talking about the settlement process and the clearances and the kind of the questions and the procedures that they go through, think of a very low amount of people that are even making it to that next step. After they do the security clearances, they will do medical examinations. Now, as a public health, you know, kind of group, we focus a lot on public health topics. This can be seen as um, kind of those public health measures. So they'll do testing on, you know, making sure you don't have any diseases that you're bringing, um, especially infectious diseases in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia. There's a lot of um, different 
you know, illnesses that are there that aren't here. So they'll make sure, you know, just like with ticks and things like that, they just want to make sure that you don't have those, but they will also check you for, you know, some chronic illnesses. They will make sure if you have diabetes, if you have hypertension in this process, you still need medication, right? You still need all of those things. And when you do resettle to the United States, you'll need access to those medications as well. So it's kind of a good thing that they do these medical examinations because it does help the refugee. Um, and you have to also know a lot of these refugees, they are in some kind of transitionary housing situation, right? It's not like we are going into Syria and talking to them there, right? They're probably at a refugee camp in Lebanon or Jordan or um, elsewhere. And that's where we're making point of contact with them. So they can have a lot of issues, you know, with digestive issues, psychiatric issues, um, violence, things like that, that are happening in these camps. And we do have to vet them for that and make sure they're okay and have medication before they come over here. Um, yep. Yeah. After, when... Yeah. You can go. You're good. I was getting out of myself. You go ahead. Uh, um, I was just asking about, you know, when they do, you know, get like, you know, get to come to the country or come mm -hmm. to the US, um, they can't apply for permanent residency until after a year and then they can't um, apply for US, citizen, US citizenship after five years, correct? Yes, so. yes. So interestingly, that is probably the fastest way the process kind of works. Right. Um, if you are an immigrant, then you know that the process is lengthy to become a U.S. citizen. And thankfully for refugees, there are a lot of good benefits um, once they're here. So like I said, they go through the security clearances, the medical exams. And once they are in the United States, they have a lot of social support. So they can they have work authorization. They are um, covered for health insurance under Medicare, CHIP, things like that, which even, you know, some undocumented immigrants can't access. But a lot of refugees, they come in and can, do have those rights to work. They can drive. Mm -hmm. um, they can, they are considered a permanent resident, which is almost like a green card holder. And then in a year, they can apply for citizenship. But that process takes five to seven years. Um, oh, yeah, that's so, a the shortest way to, you know, for an immigrant yeah, the shortest way. 12 years. So it's definitely good that they have some benefits. They get that social support. They'll even get a stipend while they kind of acclimate. Um, yeah. Thankfully, there's just a ton of resources, especially culturally and religiously. So if you're thinking about refugees that resettle, kind of like, you know, we were talking about Buffalo, you know, the Afghani population there, they have a lot of support in each other. And right that always helps, you know, to know someone to connect, to have the network, to get a job, you know, that's true for everyone, not just refugees and to have access to medical health care and, you know, housing support, things like that are so important once you settle to a new country. So thankfully refugees do have access to that. And once they're here, they don't struggle as much as, you know, some asylum seekers or immigrants might. Um, because thankfully there are, you know, nonprofits, faith-based organizations and community leaders that will kind of provide those. So thankfully once they're here, they have, 
resources available to them. Right, they have a little more support once they get here, mm-hmm. which is definitely the key uh, factor. Yeah. Um, I know you, um, we did briefly touch about like refugee health, which is definitely going to be the next chunk of our um, next episode. But I appreciate um, you going over the general like consensus of what is refugee, how to get here, what are the states uh, that you can, that are most likely you know, going to take people. It is interesting, like I said, Buffalo out of all places and Washington State for Ukraine. Um, but this is very valid information to know, especially for the next um, episode when we do record, when we talk about more into the public health concern of refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you have anything else to add? Yes, I just wanted to add that, you know, I think a lot of people want to help refugees and support them. And right now there's a big resurgence on, you know, with Ukrainian refugees wanting to help them. I think I read something um, that was very notable was Biden had said, you know, we're welcome, we're welcoming refugees um, and things like that. But you also have to understand that Ukraine is very far from us. And a lot of those refugees would prefer to, you know, resettle somewhere in the EU because they might want to go back. So you have to understand that refugees um, are not this one collective group of people, but they're refugees from different regions, right? Different countries. And so they all have a really hard time coming here and, you know, just resettling in other places. You have to kind of think they've been pushed out of their homes and they need a new home. Um, because they might not, they might never be able to go back to, you know, their homeland. And I think right now we're going to see things play out in real time with Ukraine and see what can America do? What can other countries do? And sometimes it's not a clear cut answer. And sometimes our systems in place are very unorganized and just are not available to help the mass amounts of people that need it. So there's going to be, I think, a lot of critiques the next coming um, months on refugee health and admissions and things like that. And I would definitely keep an eye out for it to see how things shift and change. Right. I, I'm glad that you said, like, we'll be seeing it in real time. because, Like, this is now something that the media does want to portray. So mm-hmm. um, I appreciate you uh, coming, coming and talking about this and picking such a wonderful topic to talk about because it's such a big uh concern that a lot of people don't know about. Um, And again, a lot that we do say is that uh, we do bring up a lot of topics, especially on our podcast, especially in group sessions and our webinars. Um, You know, sometimes what we talk about won't relate to you, um, but you know, you may be in a position that it may relate to someone you know. That's why we always talk about these topics and it is very important. Like what can we do to help? and just to bring awareness to these situations, especially with refugees. Um, I appreciate you coming on here today. I'm very excited to talk about the next part, uh, which we'll uh, we'll be recording there, uh, in a short period of time. Uh, so thank you so much, Shereen, for coming on and talking about it. Uh, thank you, Sean, for everything he does. He's the man behind the scenes. Um, I know I, I talk about him quite often in these episodes, but he uh, definitely does a great job in making these episodes possible. Um, like we said, we are the Catch Program. Uh, if you do want to reach out to us for any t- 
type of thing. If you want to do a, a group session HIV testing, be sure to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms, um, as well as email uh, and phone. So thank you all so much um, and have a great day and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.